0: Hi, and welcome to the ERMI podcast. I'm Joel Applebaum, Chief Content Officer for ERMI, and in this podcast, you will learn about McLaren's work in the agricultural food processing industry. I'm glad to have as our podcast guest today, Trent Gillette, McLaren's North American Agricultural Director and Executive General Adjuster, who still owns and operates a family farm in the Midwest. Hi, Trent.
1: Hey. hey, Joel.
0: Hey, thanks for being thanks. with us today. Uh, we're glad to talk about uh, the work that you're doing at McLaren's.
1: Thanks for having me here. I truly appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no problem. We're really glad to have you here. And, you know, we, we try to bring the topics in the agricultural insurance world to our audience. And, we, you know, we read your article featuring your thoughts on the costly and complex nature of food processing and agricultural losses. And, boy, that really it, it caught our eye. I know our our agricultural audience would appreciate a deeper dive into how the insurance industry can help manage these risks and these type of claims. So, you know, I I was hoping first we could just maybe step back for a moment and have you tell us about McLaren's and your role there.
1: McLaren's is an international marketing company. I've been with them for about eight and a half years. We specialize in market claim account adjusting work, uh, which means that we would be written into policies and be representing large, you know, Fortune 500 companies that would need multiple carriers uh, to ensure their risk. We've got offices throughout uh, throughout the world.
0: Great.
1: And my my role there is, is uh, as of uh, April of 2021, when we kicked off this agricultural uh, division, and I'm the director of North America for that division.
0: Awesome. It's uh, impressive, Trent. And, and, you know, and I'm sure there's no typical agricultural processing plant, uh, you know, out there. But if there were, could you kind of describe some of the risks for us, you know, especially those who might be unfamiliar with the You know, the food processing industry, you know, I know myself, I think, you know, there's a Food Safety Modernization Act, right? And that sets up a framework for all processors to follow, you know, for safe food. And all of them have to follow a food safety plan, right? But, you know, you know, what does it look like? You know, give us kind of an example of the...
1: What it looks like is it's kind of a good example would be, you know, how... How uh, beef or protein was produced and, and manufactured and processed a hundred years ago it was so different than how it's processed today. And that's when you mentioned the family farm, you know, we grew up with a, a small farm in a small in a small farming community, and you know, you didn't have to be a master degreed education level, you know, person to run a farm. Well, that that industry's changed so much, which kind of spurred. And, and kind of sparked my idea because I, I love this environment, I love this niche and this coverage or this portion of the industry, which kind of kicked me off into hiring um, degreed, specific agriculture degree people. Um, I understand the adjusting process and I've got a dust electronics degree background and grew up on a small farm, but the piece that I was missing on this to handle these properly is the technological animal science plant-based science that's involved in this processing. I understand conveyors and how all that works, but there is so much more to this. And what i that's what spurred me to go in and hire these type of individuals uh, that could do this because it is so highly technical. I would think that the food processing industry now is, is as, as technical and is as dangerous as per se any other kind of manufacturing processing out there because You are producing a product that human beings consume, and they want to consume that with the safety in mind that it is, you know, it's good for them. It's not going to harm them. And there's with the, uh, you know, just with PLC scanners, it's the technology that's involved in here from when when that raw material, whether it's a, a, a corn corn kernel or a full-size 12 1300 pound steer comes through a line it's all coming in in some raw material state whether it's a live or a plant-based cereal and being processed and from its beginning raw material state all the way through to the the final final packaged good that gets to your shelf that is a very very detailed and elaborate process
0: right and and so thanks you know for mentioning how elaborate that is and and also that the the process has changed uh, quite a bit but you know I, I still think there's a fair amount of you know aging equipment in there and you know how do endeavors like updating aging equipment or complying you know trying to comply with the the food modernization Safety act and and proper maintenance play into, longevity and reputation of a company. I'd like a good example here. Like you said, you know these things come in live, right? It's you're processing cattle and soybeans and and blackberries, things that have a, a pretty short shelf life in these organizations. So give us kind of that example of how all those things interact.
1: Well, a good example, that is a great question because there's there's two points to that question that I'd like to touch base on. First, when you mentioned the aging equipment, that's the problem that we have in the United States and probably worldwide is the aging equipment. And a lot of this, a lot of these plants and processing equipment was built around plants in the 50s and 60s when we had the just a huge food processing revolution of mass producing when processed foods start coming about packaged foods where it wasn't all just out of a box you know you went to the market now we're able to package things and give them a shelf life and the thing was if you can think of a lego situation you have these little say 25 50 000 square foot processing plants that were built in the 50s and 60s and now with through growth And the demand for food, and that's one thing that all of us really don't do well at is, you know, when there's a demand for food, we're us humans, we want more food and we want new kinds of food. So what these companies have done is they've they've built around the heart of that business. So that box, if you can just vision a box that was the business for 30 years, well now, due to the growth, these companies have to grow. So they build around their main box. So it's just like putting little shoe boxes around the main shoe box in the middle. Now the problem comes in when that old equipment needs to be replaced and everything is built around that aged technology, we're constantly upgrading it. But if there is a loss in that type of equipment, it causes huge ramifications. And that gets to the second point of it is, it's a food chain thing. So usually everything is bought on contract, whether it's blackberries, soybeans, beef, chickens, hogs, whatever. So when I've got a contract and I've I've raised these cows, it's easy examples, and it gets to a certain weight, and the meat packers want it from twelve hundred to fourteen hundred pounds. Okay, well I'm I'm judging that very specifically that time frame. So I've got my cattle, I've got say a thousand head that are going in today. I'm getting them all loaded up. They get to the plant. Now this is a living thing, and there's a then as the, the soon as you put that cow or that soybean or blackberry or whatever. In that logistical transportation vehicle, the ticker starts with the USDA. Everything just starts ticking. Where It's got so much time from that farm to that processing plant to be processed. And if you don't meet that requirement, and if you can't take that raw material item in, what do you do with it? Oh, I just delivered a thousand cows to a meat packer. He's only got so many hours to get that thing started. Then what do you do? So if that meatpacker can't take that, then you've just wasted all of those of that raw material product. And it's not like, oh, I've got a a trailer full of, of steel or scrap steel or whatever the, the raw material would be that they need or iron ore. Well, I can just go sit in the yard for a week or a month until we need it. Food processing doesn't allow us to do that. So time is of the element like no other industry uh, because of the shelf life of product. I mean, who wants to buy a steak that's, you know, that's, three months old, no one will, it spoils. So because of the spoiling issue, and then you've got all the regulation that's monitoring the, the exact time of this. There's reefer units that go down the road with strawberries. This is high tech, just to get it from the farm to the processing plant with strawberries or blackberries or whatever else has to be kept cool. That reefer has a control logic system in it that is monitoring every second of the temperature of that reefer which is a is a refrigerated trailer is what that means so when that reefer or there's any type of spike in temperature and it arrives on site and the person that's receiving that product looks at it and sees that whoa you had a spike of 76 degrees and it's supposed to maintain 60 degrees they reject it everything has that time stamp on it and the problem is that whole, say that strawberry is getting, going to an ice cream factory that wants the strawberries to, to continue a line of strawberry ice cream. They're waiting for that product. So they've ordered 100,000 pounds of it, whatever their load that they're looking for. They don't get that. It affects the whole downstream of that finished product. Everything is connected in the food industry.
0: Mm, interesting. So what would you say drives most losses in the agricultural food processing industry?
1: What I would say, and this would be, you know, this would be a 10-hour conversation, but what I see personally in my involvement, and I'm handling, you know, probably three of the largest claims that you see in all the news right now and how those are affected. And what I see is it's a two-fold problem. First, us Americans and people around the world that we export to, we want our stuff now. We're, we don't want to wait. And if you are the owner of that company, you can't afford to lose market share because it's once you lose market share, you can't get it back. So I think the driving factor in that is it's hard to shut down a plant because I've got contracts. Use the, use the cow example again. I've got contracts for farmers that I've put in place 18 months ago. Because you know, it's about the time frame for you know for cattle from 18 months to two years, whatever whatever their feed and logistic area they're in. So when that guy has raised that steer on that long period of time, he needs to get rid of it. And I've got to be able to take it. If not, it's a problem. And the risk involved in that is if I don't take it and I've got this equipment that I can't shut down because I have this constant line of product coming in that will not wait for me in my parking lot it has to go somewhere. So it really puts the manufacturers of fresh raw good materials, that's consumable product, anything that we're eating in the food industry, it puts them at a big disadvantage because they can't just shut down, like a steel mill could just say, I'm gonna shut down every two days a week and i want to make sure all my, my equipment's running properly. And the food processing, they don't get to do that because whether it's vegetables or protein, Things are coming in, and, and Mother Nature doesn't have the same time clock that we do. When do you shut down to do a major revamp or build a whole new factory um, to do that? Any kind of food processing plant right now, I think, takes between 18 and two years to build. So if you're wow. if you if you're running your plants at 95%, say you've got five processing plants that are making, you know, we're processing... Uh, I don't know a, a cow, and one of those goes down. You have to take those extra cattle that are coming into your plant every day and take the overflow and give them to your other processing plants. Now, if they're running at eighty-five to ninety percent, which is probably be normal, and now you make them run at ninety-nine to hundred percent, it's the example of a, a car. Yeah, your car can run at seven thousand RPMs probably for a few seconds. Then something's going to blow up, Um, but and when you push them things to a limit to that level bad things happen so it's kind of this catch 22 you can't shut down you got to take the product you take your product and put it into your other facilities to take the overflow and now you're pushing them to run at 95 to 100% bad things happen when when you start going at 95 to 100% or you take a motor a little regular dc or ac motor and you run it at 100% its capacity what happens to it it gets hot right so right. when things get hot, whether it's a hydraulic line with too much pressure because it's never shutting down, or a motor or a conveyor, anything on rubber, steel belt, anything running constantly with ever with never the time to get a break, usually is going to break down. Mm. And, we're, and we're pushing our food industry right now, growth in population around the world, the demand for food, the demand for different types of food, it's growing faster than we can keep up. And during this COVID thing, it has really taken a a taxing toll on the food industry because a lot of the big specialized cookers, boilers, tables, conveyor-type systems that we use still come from all over the world. Well, everyone knows what the freight industry has done to America, per se. I mean, it's just things are sitting out on the ocean spinning in circles, and you're sitting here in a processing plant waiting for them to come in. And there's really no timetable to when they're coming in. Mm. Major delays. That really hurt.
0: Yeah, and it seems interesting to me that, you know, a food safety plan, you know, under the Modernization Act has to have a very specific approach to the manufacturing process and, and processing, depending on the hazards that might be present, and that each state, let's just say you have a, you're trying to push, you know, your excess demand, you don't have room for, you have a breakdown here in this facility, you want to move it to another one. A different state may have a a different process and different regulation, right? So I understand that the safety plans might not be the same in different states. So I, I wonder, you know, what would you say are some of the risks in processing plants that cause claims that or some of the bigger claims that you see, and um you know do they differ you know by state for the same industries like soybean or cattle or you know blackberries as we've used our examples
1: they they do differ in state to state, and one thing I definitely want to make everyone aware is that everything in a processing plant wants to kill you Um <laughs> I mean literally when you go into a processing plant processing means what process things are moving so as you walk through a processing plant it is moving every room you go into something's moving and whether it's a, a mechanical gear driven device making it move or a hydraulic pressure line or steam if it's an older factory it's all making it move and the difference is let's face it there's, there's and that's where I'm. That is not my specialty because it's such a litigious, long process. Is every state is different? Like getting a getting a building permit in Chicago, Illinois, to build a manufacturing or processing plant is a hundred and ten percent different than getting a building permit and starting a processing plant in, say, North Dakota or Kansas. Huge differences in that. Did I answer your question on that, that's kind of a loaded question. I, I
0: think so, but I wanted to make sure. You know, what are what are some of the largest types of risks you see? You now everything wants to kill you, but is it is it uh, you know, shutdown, fire? What are what are the big risks, and and what yeah, are the, you trying to prevent?
1: The biggest risk that we want to prevent in a claim in processing is the believe it or not the building. Is not the hardest thing or the biggest risk. I mean, I, I've got an I have a claim now where the, the the building it's I would say the loss is this is one of the smaller ones, but the the building loss is maybe twenty five million dollars, but the business income and extra expense loss is in the hundreds of millions of dollars. It all depends on you know what you're manufacturing. Strawberries, obviously, we talked about earlier, don't have the same value as a as a fourteen hundred pound steer do. Okay. So it depends what it is, but the the driving factor for this and where the time element piece is so important, and that's where you gets back to having people understand this process is so important because it's not the building that's important that you monitor; it's the time element piece. Because one of the, these claims I had, it's the you know it's a three million dollar a day per, a loss on the business income side. So when you have to be there as an adjuster, you have to be able to make decisions whether right or wrong sometimes, but usually you want to be right and you want to have the people that make those right decisions is a decision you make in the field could save millions of dollars. If you spend an extra million dollars on the, on the building, you could save tens of million dollars on the, on the business income time element piece. Okay. Got it. That's the driving factor. If you ever want to think about food processing, Always remember the driving factor is your business income time element. That's the hardest and most important part, to keep the process moving.
0: Excellent. And 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 because of the interconnectedness of the business, I think everybody needs to understand the getting the processing back online impacts everybody in, in the food chain, literally.
1: <laughs> and in the insurance market, something I've run into recently is, well, not recently, it's kind of like comment, I've got a claim now that's really, really affected, is this one processing plant affects 20 other businesses that are multi-billion dollar type businesses. So when this one plant would stop operating, what it needs to do, it affects 20 other businesses. And then you have this really bad thing called contingent business income coverage that when this plant goes down, and if I can't keep the other ones going, you know, they're, they're bringing in product, then all these other 20 people have got a contingent business income claim. And that could affect an entire industry. So it's a huge exposure.
0: Hmm. Interesting. So how would you say increase, increasing technology in agriculture affects loss adjusting? And what would you say are some of the best practices?
1: Well, the, the, one of the best practices would be like that example I gave you on a decision I made with uh, a claim I had is I understood what a switchgear room was and what it does and, and how it affects my PLCs that operate the whole plant. And where it was in my little, you know, Lego example, it's in the middle of the heart of the plant that was the most affected. Okay, well, I to, to get there, it's going to take me months and months. If I move that switchgear room outside of the affected zone of the fire, spend a million dollars to do so, that would save – that well, it did. It saves six months of business income because the switchgear rooms are the – it's the brain of – usually it's the brains of a processing plant. It's all the electrical wires that go in and out and tells all of my conveyors and motors and belts when to stop and start and all that kind of stuff. And when that doesn't work, that your claim just stops. You have to have the technical skills, and that's why I've started this with McLarens. I've hired people that understand that process and how important it is. It's a big difference to look at a brick-and-mortar building yesterday and then be thrown into a moving building, because I look at processing plants. What the big difference is? They're moving. As soon as you walk through any processing plant, whether you're making— uh soda pop or pop and you're or you're making steaks. There is a million moving pieces in that plant. And if you don't understand how something comes in one side as a raw material and goes out the other side as a final package good for consumers, it's not going to work. Because a lot of adjusters they look at it it's like they just focus on the material itself or the you know the building, the conveyor, the whatever. They have to understand the process involved. You don't just get to turn a switch and shut it down because I've got raw materials that keep coming in because if I don't take them in, they rot, they spoil. And I lose that money on twofold.
0: Interesting. All good stuff, Trent. Well, we really appreciate getting to understand the work you and McLaren's do as it relates to how complex food processing losses can actually be. And um, some of what should happen to mitigate those types of losses it's definitely highlighted the ever-changing needs of the agricultural industry and and for me the importance of a strong insurance partner uh, to make sure that we understand the interconnectedness of the agricultural business and protecting you know our our food chain and our food chain supply Um, So I I think this has been a a great podcast. We really appreciate your time. And if those of you who'd like to learn more about this can reach out at ERMI.com. We have agricultural insurance references available for you. So thanks very much for your time, Trent. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it, Joel.